Hey there, all you cool cats and Snow Day Pod listeners. This is Deke, the number one fan of the Snow Day Podcast. Now, that's not number one fan like Kathy Bates and Misery, but I was the first fan to follow the Snow Day Podcast, which has, in my mind, solidified my number one fan status. So keep on keeping on, boys, and I look forward to the next pod. D to the double E-K out. Oh, and a big P.S. Steve, anytime you talk about moving at breakneck speed, I picture Mr. Hickey leaned forward 20 degrees and hightailing it down the Artie Parker hallways between classes. Always brings a smile to my face. Later. Yeah, here we go, here we go. I want to do a shout out to uh, one of our crowd back in Thompson at Artie Parker and one of our gang growing up. So it's the season of 50th birthdays for all of us. Andrea Lowen just had hers. Little shout out to our sister, Andrea. I'd like to say happy birthday, Andrea. I hope you had a meaningful, fun day by the time you get this. And I know that your effort is to make the world better through education and parenting and making a difference. I know the world is hurting more than ever. So uh, happy birthday and thank you for what you do. That was like the saddest happy birthday we've ever heard. This is fucking terrible. How about have a great day, Andrea? Well, we'll let her. We'll let her decide. So, since we're mentioning birthdays, Bobby Moore's birthday was just a few days ago. She's another fiftieth. Yep, oh, another friend of the pod. I actually don't know because she's never listened to the pod and she thinks what we do is stupid, but I'm still going to wish her a happy birthday. Maybe Donovan will listen to this. Just in case. Maybe not so much friend of the pod. Maybe I should retract that friend of the pod. Donnie said he doesn't listen either. When we saw him this summer, he said he's never listened and has no plans to listen, but whatever. Shout them out anyway. Ah, teach their own. I saw some pics. Andrea had 50 flamingos on the front yard and they had a little bit of a party with some of their friends and I know a little, I think even a live band. Georgie, we saw some pictures of your birthday coming up. The cartload of booze you had today (laughs) tells me that uh, you're lining up for a good time. What you got lined up? I'm doing the Great Gatsby theme for 50. I dropped uh, $500 worth of booze today and I got to go get some champagne. And uh, for those who are showing up to my uh, birthday party, I'll be wearing a tux. Like it'll be a black tux affair. And uh, as you know, Uh, COVID screwed up a whole bunch of things, including all of our great plans for celebrating 50. I mean, you guys did a whole mini pod on turning 50 uh, just before COVID hit, right? And you know how I felt about it. Yeah, I'm going to have a a little bit of a bash. Obviously, if COVID rears its ugly head again, it'll be cancelled. And then we're looking forward to Les's 50th next June, in which case I'm going fucking crazy at Les's 50th. (laughs) It's September 2020, episode 37. Anxiety. Here's the disclaimer. There are some curse words. They're not beeped. It's too much work. And at times, we may be mildly offensive. It's not aimed at you. It's just who we are. This is the Snow Day Podcast with Dr. George Alvarez. Except I find it hilarious. And anytime anyone ever you can't vomits, stop laughing. I can't help but laugh out loud. It's one of my, I can't stop laughing. I love it when people vomit. CEO, Leslie Hansen. Had a lot of other extreme digestive situations on that trip, but, uh, but never vomited. Leadership expert, Stephen DeGroote. I didn't know it was gay porn. You didn't call it that. And me, Bruce Krentz, the one they left behind. 
I had him in the Boston Crab and then producer Mike went shirts off and jumped in and got him in the Camel Clutch. He tapped out. Krentz Brothers won that one easily. We had some pretty big predictions on the pod that just dropped that all sports were going to crash and burn. I think we all felt that in our heart and they've lasted way more than we thought. Les, you put them at 50-50. Uh, you still there? What, what do you think? Mm-hmm. I said I gave uh, 50-50 odds to the NBA at best and the other sports I thought lagged behind the NBA. And we talked a little bit about the whole concept of the bubble. And I, I got to say, guys, it's pretty incredible what the NBA has been able to do. They did bring together a thousand people into a bubble and they've had zero infections for whatever they're at now, 10, 11 weeks. Like they, I mean, they spent $150 million to create, <laughs> to create this uh, biosphere of their own. We can do anything. We can do anything. If you've got enough money to throw at a problem, you can, uh, you can build damn near anything. But uh, yeah, my hat's off to them. I think the other sports have done well as well. You know, baseball had a couple initial outbreaks. I think I emailed you guys the day after we recorded that. <laughs> totally. I can't even remember what team it was now. It had like 17 positives. And I was like, yeah, baseball's not going to make it to the end of the week for yeah. crying out that. They've gotten past that. They've been fine. That was the Marlins. Was it the Marlins? I yeah, think, I think you're right. Think, it was yeah. the yeah. Florida Marlins. Yeah. The NHL's been fined with their two-bubble two city system. Good, good for them. September the 14th, we stand corrected, but there's still a little piece of my heart that thinks on the 15th, they could all still crash and burn. Yeah. <laughs> could still happen. I thought there was going to be more sneaking around. I mean, we saw some some bad behavior in the NBA. <laughs> yeah. One guy has been sent home <laughs> from summer camp early. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's been pretty impressive and it's good. That, you know, people are less anxious when they have sports to watch. So we'll tie it mm-hmm. into our theme today give them something to look forward to something that's meaningful i have thoroughly enjoyed watching nba basketball like it's been great the quality of ball has been great the television production has been great unfortunately the raptors just checked out a couple nights ago it's it was a little weird yesterday to turn on the tv and see a full slate of nfl football games coming on as yeah. if everything in the world is normal i was like <laughs> whoa this is like blowing my mind this doesn't make any sense to me but you know you, you know it's interesting because less sends a picture of his dog watching the Browns game. And I had no idea the NFL was on. That's how little I cared. If you had not sent me that picture, I would have had no idea that the NFL was back on. So I started reading about, oh yeah, Brady is at a different team. He's for the Buccaneers. How did he do? So I start reading up on it. So had you not sent me a picture of Wilma, I would have read zero about the NFL yesterday. You'll laugh at this, but you know how I found out that there was a slate of NFL games? I logged onto my uh, betting site on Sunday to calculate how much money I had lost when the Raptors bowed out of, of the playoffs. And I see all these football games to bet on and they're like the next day. I'm like, what the hell? Like there's football games to bet on. What's going on? And that's the only reason I, I realized that the games were on as well. That's funny. I thought you, I, I didn't hear you say betting. I thought you said betting. I'm like, you found out they were playing football by going to bed, bath, and beyond? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I was ordering a new duvet. I was so upset about the Raptors losing, I was getting some new bedding. I did get a laugh out of some of the first video they showed from the NFL when all those guys were standing arm in arm. It was a pretty cool look, but there was a little small COVID piece to that that I just thought, this just exemplifies the NFL so much. It's like, <laughs> we're trying to do the right thing, but we're still a step behind because we've got everybody like touching each other. <laughs> and as yeah. much as I know they're yeah. in a bubble and being safe, I didn't like that yeah. look. Yeah. Our foray into sports was uh, Marnie actually signed signed up for a month at TSN to watch the US Open tennis tournament, yeah. which was pretty good too. It was a little weird with no people in the stands. I kind of thought, ah, what are we signing up for this for? But we, we kind of got into it. So pretty yeah. cool yeah. thing. 
The only thing that cracked me up was they kept making people put on masks to do interviews after the match, yeah. but then they were still standing 10 feet away from everybody like that. It was yeah. a good, I mean, it's kind of a good reminder and a good shout out, but kind of didn't really make sense, yeah. but whatever. Yeah. It's kind of weird and random. I noticed that too, when you're, when you're watching basketball games, you see like half, like none of the players are wearing masks, but some of the players sitting on the bench, half of the coaches have them on, half of them don't. <laughs> sometimes they put them on for interviews, sometimes they don't. I think a little bit of it is just their personal preference. Like they have rules and then they're allowed to wear them if they want or not. And, but it does create sort of like a weird randomized looking event in terms of the protocols. (laughs) Well, it makes sense with the microphones because you you don't want them spitting on the microphone when they're talking into it. Right. So, well, but they're doing all their, all the press. Yeah. Well, not in tennis because they were doing those interviews on the court, but after the NBA games, when they go to the podium, they're doing it all by zoom. So they're just sitting there looking at a big video screen. So they're, they're totally by themselves. And it's, I've actually, found that interesting too you get some better interviews i think the players probably appreciate it they're not standing you know you got that classic 50 guys with their microphones <laughs> stuck in their face and they're like pinned against the wall and everyone's firing questions at them now they're just sitting there like super relaxed in front of a video screen fielding questions and they're back and forth with the sports journalist community has been better i would agree with that you you missed just a tiny bit of that like crazy emotion that's happening and their buddies all, you know, jumping around behind them. But 99% of it's better. Like the tennis one, same thing. They would bring them into a studio right away after that on-court thing. And it was great because they're, they can think through what they're going to say. And uh, I thought it was, I thought it was better. Fortunately and unfortunately, if we were in a basement, we'd all be talking over each other. But with Zoom, only one person can talk at a time. So with this (laughs) this reversion to this type of communication, almost like the old ham radios, only one person can talk at a time, so you must be listening, right? So you get a better interview for sure. Yeah, it sucks. It forces me to listen to you, Steve. I can't stand it. <laughs> that makes two of us. Quickly, once around, if you've got any notable uh, stuff that's happened in the last month, so a week ago or a week and a half ago or so, producer Mike had a buddy up and we were hanging out at the fire couple cocktails in and somehow I ended up in a wrestling match like a WWE match with this guy it was shirts off full-on like fake but real wrestling at one point he body slammed me like (laughs) I thought I'm I'm up in the air now like what is going on and I gave him the old Hulk Hogan leg drop a couple of hard chops across the chest and uh, and yeah oh yeah the, the the big whoppers and then at one point I looked over and he had gone and grabbed a ladder and I thought we were gonna have a ladder match <laughs> but instead it was just a foreign object in the ring so uh, luckily the nice. ladder match didn't work out I was thinking how am I gonna get out of this one and he a ladder and a wooden table <laughs> he had a hilarious line the next morning though I was talking to him and he said next thing I knew I ended up in a bantamweight match which I think was a slam on me. Yeah, I think so. I think so. <laughs> the piece of the night that, that nobody will ever see, though, at one point, I got him in the, what's that hold called where you've got their legs and you're sitting on their back and pulling them up like the scorpion or something Figure like that? Figure four. Oh, the Boston Crab. The Boston Crab. The Boston Crab. Oh, the Boston Crab, yeah. I had him in the Boston Crab, and then producer Mike went shirts off and jumped in and got him in the camel clutch, so we, he got ambushed oh. by the Krentz brothers. <laughs> oh, yeah. And we just, we had him uh, down and out. The Iron Sheik. Yeah. Camel Clutch. Camel Clutch. He tapped out. Krentz Brothers won that one easily. Then there was some photos surfaced of it, and it looked like the most gay scene you've ever seen. These three guys with no shirts on. (laughs) 
<laughs> Arms and legs Extremely everywhere. homoerotic. Oh, it was. It was is is uh, Les gonna see that on Grinder sometime? When he's uh, swiping, swiping right. Next time he slides through. They were they were all double deleted. We made sure that no no evidence of those photos will ever. Les is pouring another one on that one. He's like, I gotta, I have to stop feeling. I have to stop yeah. feeling. Yeah. Wipe that from his mind. I need to drink my thoughts away. <laughs> so, could you describe? Could you describe the camel clutch again? He's really slow and uh... in a little bit deeper voice. Were you sweating? The shocker. <laughs> you. Sorry, guys. Georgie. I'm just sort of prepping for the fall. I actually went to Burnco today and got more flagstone. If you guys know what flagstone is, so that I could uh, clean up and get rid of all the shale that's been broken in my water feature. So I'm pulling like a full Mediterranean goose move. <laughs> you took the piss out of me for giving Andrea the worst happy birthday ever. That was by far the worst, most boring check-in ever. <laughs> Not to all the Mediterranean listeners out yeah. there. They're gonna well appreciate <laughs> how I care about my fucking life. I went and bought some rocks. Oh, great, cool. Yeah. yeah. And the Shemians. Flagstone. And the Shemians. Flagstone. Flag Sorry, it's flagstone. Flagstone. <laughs> my bad. Stevie, you gotta be better. What do you got? You know what I'm doing. I've been working hard. Brucey, you and Les have been helping me move this big idea. Georgie's been helping me with some work stuff. Getting a lot of really good stuff done and moving the needle on what I love to do the best, which is, is help people. Brivia is doing well. Seeing my boys just live in life. Catherine was here for a while, so that was awesome. And uh, yeah, just it's work. It's work, 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 which I love. I appreciate that. I know you love that, but I brought gay porn and you brought work. Come on, man. Lester, what do you got? Gay <laughs> porn. <laughs> I didn't know it was gay porn. You didn't call it that. You called it wrestling. Is that what is that what the quotes were for, Bruce? I thought it was just a home movie. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it started as a home movie. Isn't that how they always start? <laughs> Lester, you got anything? Yeah, so I guess the only big thing for me, like since the last pod, is I have finally moved back to Toronto, back into my loft. The uh, construction, the renovations are are completed here, and we're back in Toronto. So it's nice to be home and it's nice to be back in the city and uh it was fun while it lasted out in the country but it was time to come home so happy to be back here welcome home you're a city guy that's where you belong yeah i'm a city guy sometimes my mind plays tricks on me it all keeps setting up i think i'm cracking up am i just we're about two weeks in now to the to the real world, if you want to call it that. School has started, and with school starting, people have gone back to work. Summer holidays for most people are over, and the real life is setting in. We're looking at a winter that's going to be unlike many we've ever seen before. I know it's bringing up some anxiety in all of us. And so because school has gone back, we're two weeks in now. Should kids have gone back to school, yes or no? I think there isn't much debate there. They're all back to school right now. How do we feel about them being back? And how do you think the world is feeling about sending them back and, and all the challenges and things that go with that? Stevie, let's go straight to you. You brought this topic, so we'll let you have the first word. Yeah, I'm super mixed. I think the anxiety is coming from we're putting people in, in situations where we know there's a chance that they're going to get sick. Whereas before it was pulling back and ensuring that nobody got sick. I think kids need to interact and be creative and have relationships. So I know the huge mental health component there for going back to school. 
I think I think about the teachers a lot, like we thought about the healthcare workers in the spring and currently the people that are on the front lines with Corona. It's almost like teachers are in this new front line kind of thing that they're, you know, they're in a situation where, you know, there's a good chance that they could get infected due to the, due to their job, due to their calling to teach children and to care for them. I'm not for it against it. I'm just observing and supporting, but it is concerning time for sure. And I can understand why the anxiety is so high and the double anxiety from parents that, you know, have to work. A friend of mine in Alberta, very first day, his son had a runny nose. They had to stop everything, leave work and go get him tested. You know, coming to flu season, just the pandemonium of the sniffles and the headache and the stress that that's going to cause. So I can understand why it's such an anxious uh, time for everybody. Georgia, you've got kids that actually have to go to school. How are they feeling and how's things at your house? Yeah, well, I was pretty happy that they're going back to school. I can actually see them being uh, less anxious because now they have a routine. They're back to their job, just like I'm at my job and I have no anxiety because I have purpose and direction, which many people do not. I see that they're enjoying it. It's interesting that they're banning all sports until October, November. So even the school boards are understanding that if the second wave comes, they're going to pull back, probably shut down schools. So they don't want the kids to experience everything, but just enough to get back in. I think the, the teachers are in a difficult position, but they, but people in society get put in difficult positions all the time. You are asked to do something because that's what your job is. And people are trying to negotiate it and the government's trying to give them as many resources as possible to succeed. I think this is going to be just a, a cool trial run for your kids. I think Steve has often spoken about this bubble wrapping. We've talked about helicopter parenting. This is something that kids are going through quite early in their life. Like this is an extremely stressful situation so that it allows parents and kids to navigate a fairly well-controlled stressful situation, which will almost certainly happen again in their lifetime. I think infectious diseases are on the rise. They're not on the decline. So I think we're going to have another type of pandemic in their lifetime. So I think that's interesting. And I think it also will put some interesting perspective on flu season, just like you had mentioned the cold and the sniffles. I think we grew up with this mindset that unless you were bleeding or dying, you showed up to work. Certainly for me, I mean, I haven't missed a day of work, right? My dad never did. And so I think people are going to be much more conscious in the November, December, when our flu season hits, that they're not going to send their kid to school and I'm not going to go to work. I've already had colleagues that have called in and say, hey, I'm getting a COVID testing. you got to cover my week. So people are very conscious that you can't have this tough guy mentality. And then maybe as the last point, well, you know what? If the NBA can do it, you know, I granted they had a lot of money to do it. They did a social experiment. It is seemingly working. How can we as a society not put our kids back to school? We have to see. And so uh, I think we're doing the right thing. And uh, I'll give the same odds that Les did. I think there's a 50-50 chance that they're in school after Christmas. And I bet you we'll know by... November 1. <laughs> yeah, Halloween. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like I've said this before, but the, the funny one with the cold and the sniffles is you shouldn't get a cold if you're doing all the right COVID precautions. Yeah. Am I wrong in yeah. that, George? No, you're right. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. But the Southern Hemisphere did have a bit of a bigger flu season than normal and they did shut down melbourne again when the cases went back up so i i think our preparedness might 
potentially make our flu season better just because it's on our radar so acutely. So you may be right. I guess the thing that maybe scares me or throws me for a loop is any person that gets a cold could have got COVID. Yes. That's just an eye opener for you that if, if, if you've yeah. got the sniffles and you have to stay home from work for whatever reason, then there was a chink in your armor and that it's going to happen. To me, that's interesting little eye opener. It's interesting that all of the provinces are different in the way they have handled things. I continue, I think I said this on the last pod, I continue to think it's ridiculous that we don't have like a national standard for phase one, phase two, phase three, what we're doing, like coordinating, you know, Bruce, I was telling you, I was trying to find stuff on the Manitoba Shared Health website today to figure out what's going on in Manitoba different than Ontario. It's kind of crazy, but it certainly, it applies to education as well. So George, your kids have been back in school for two weeks or Bruce, you were saying two weeks. Ontario is behind that and Toronto is behind that. I think it was Toronto District School Board's first day of school today. They had a couple of delays in getting back to school because this is the kind of the first big hurdle where the provincial government, which obviously back in you know March, April, May, June even, was full throttle, whatever we have to do to control this pandemic. The first time they hit a kind of crossroads because the provincial government in Ontario, the conservative government's in power right now, since day one has been very anti-education. They've been doing everything they can to be uh, challenged, the teachers unions, and, and really um, scale back on any sort of like funding. So when it came time to figuring out, okay, how are we gonna put the kids back to school? It's like, okay, yeah, we can do this, but we have to have a good plan. You're going to have to spend money to have reduced class sizes and this and that. They were like, oh, wait, hold on a second. Our political platform is we're not giving a fucking penny to teachers. So we're not, we can't spend money. That's against our political platform. So they hit a real roadblock and the debate over how to get kids back in school in Ontario has been really tough, like maybe different from some of the other provinces. And there's been a lot of fighting and there's been what looks like a very loosely stapled together plan for for putting kids back in school. So, you know, George, you said 50-50. It'll be interesting to see which provinces do better than others on that 50-50. It has appeared, you know, at sort of the high level to be just a shit show on figuring out the plan to put kids back in schools in Ontario. And it's disappointing. It's disappointing to me. Because I think I said in the last plot, I think it's the most important thing that we all had to do. I actually have a friend uh, in Ottawa I was speaking to her this morning and she told me her daughters went back to school last week and her nine-year-old daughter on day two got a letter saying someone in your school has tested positive. And two days later, they got a call and said, yeah, I was a kid in your class. So her daughter made it through (laughs) three days of school before being sent home for 14 days isolation. Yeah. And they had to take the whole family to get tested and whatnot. I mean... Is what it is, right? Like we yeah. know that's going to happen. I was laughing, just saying, you know, come on. Statistically, that's just very bad luck. That yeah. Your your daughter's your daughter's class got sent home on day two of school. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody's class had to be the first class. Well, Z- Zane's in school, guys. So Zane's still in school. He's in grade twelve, right? So yeah, I was going to ask university. if he's grade, grade twelve. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he's every second day smaller classrooms. He said, "Yeah, Dad, the social distance in the classroom, but then in the hallway, it's not right." Yeah. So yeah. everyone's hanging out, high fiving, and it's like. Yeah. High schools are like Petri dishes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For sure. It's tough. The story in Manitoba, less from what I heard through work, this could change at any time, but the 
MO here is keeping kids in school as long as they possibly can. So a little bit similar to what you were talking about. If a kid in your class or in your little pod gets sick, then we're going to send your pod home. But we're not closing the school until it is yeah. super widespread. So as much as you can, it's going to be containing those, keeping an eye on kids that they had been in touch with. Yeah. But really the the plan is to, as much as possible, keep schools open. And if even in Thompson, if Juniper School closes, Burntwood School stays open until they have a yeah. bunch of... Hey, you watch your mouth. Juniper doesn't close first. Okay, <laughs> you watch yourself. You watch your mouth. You watch yourself. There's watch no your snow mouth. day. There's yeah. no sick day. Yeah. There's no... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We, we all went to school. You know it's Westwood's getting sick first. You know Westwood, and then it's going to be Riverside. Because <laughs> they're right? soft. They're soft. Fucking <laughs> Vikings. My ass. Bruce, the other thing I just wanted to toss out there, just another interesting angle on the education factor. Unfortunately, it's an area where we see the pandemic really exposes socioeconomic divides. Private schools in Toronto have a lot more money to throw at the problem of you know, oh, hey, we need more classrooms and fewer students in a classroom. Okay, we'll come up yeah. a way, with a way to fund that. Whereas the public schools are like, yeah, we need money for, for this. And the government said, yeah, no, you can't have it. So you're screwed. And then the other thing, you know, I, I have friends who've told me, you know, in their neighborhoods, there are groups of parents who are getting together, throwing 10 kids in a pod and hiring a private teacher and saying, look, I don't, feel safe sending my kid to this school because I've asked them 20 times and they won't tell me what their proper plan is to for protocols because they're all over the map. So fine, I don't want to homeschool my kids anymore, but I'm happy to uh, hire a, a teacher to do it. And I've got nine neighbors who are happy to do it and we can all afford it. So now you're going to see, you know, this unfortunate increase in income disparity between groups of people where wealthy kids are going to get educated and poor kids are not, potentially. Hopefully it doesn't get that extreme, but it looks like we're going down a road towards that, which is, you know, which is tough. Yeah, well, I think it's already that extreme. I think there are some parents that just can't afford, you know, if they, they want to keep their kids out of school, they don't have the means to yeah. provide them an alternative education. So I think we're already there, actually. I think it's we're at the, we're at the start of that. So say they do shut down public schools because they just can't do it. And now you've got kids, some parents who are saying, look, I'm going to educate my kid myself. And you've got other kids who just aren't. So yeah. it's unfortunate. Income inequality is probably the biggest dividing point in, in yeah. society, right? Education isn't learning. And I think one of the positive things that is going to come out of this is the primitive and archaic nature of our current education system. You know, I'm totally with Sir Ken Robinson's view that current school systems that are still reflective of the industrial era that focus too much on arithmetic and writing are mm -hmm. killing creativity. So, I mean, what the pandemic might do is shake things up in a way that we see that learning, so education and learning are not the same thing. You know, if we look at it that way, there's alternative ways to engaging kids in ways yep. where they can build their brains and interact, find their creativity other than in classrooms, in rows and desks. Yeah, that's an interesting point, Steve. You know, we talked about that a lot. I don't know how many pods ago, Bruce, when we talked about education, we talked about how the education system yeah. probably needs a revamp. Maybe this is the flashpoint that yeah. causes that. Like, yeah. could be, right? Could be. However, those people in the lower socioeconomic class have to work. They don't have the time or the energy or the free time to engage their children in alternative modes of learning. It's probably still the richer kids that get the richer exposure to learning versus education. And maybe we have to be a little bit more like Finland and Japan where education there is life 
you're outside, you learn how to cook, you take care of each other, and it's a more, I guess, holistic approach to learning. Like you learn how to be a person and take care of each other. Yeah. I highly doubt, and I would be putting money down, that our education system is going to change as a consequence of COVID. That's just, I don't think that's realistic. I think that's uh, idealistic. Whether it changes as a result or changes that there's an opening, because there's some big movements like new pedagogies for deep learning. There's some global initiatives right now that are really moving to change, you know, may not be pandemic changes it, but maybe it creates an opening for a possibility to change. Here's hoping. I'll, I'll bring it back to the anxiety, seeing Marnie and seeing what's going on with the teachers around town here, that I think there's less anxiety now that they've been back for a week and a half or two weeks and just know what it's like. And I think the biggest buildup of anxiety was the day before everybody started to go back. And same thing with parents and kids, or that's what I saw with friends of ours who have younger kids is you just didn't know what school was going to look like. And I suspect this is everywhere, and, and I kind of know it is because I don't know if you guys listened to This American Life. They basically scooped us on this episode. They did a whole really well-produced episode on people going back to school, and, and they followed a bunch of schools in the States that start up at the end of July, beginning of August. So they've gone through what we're going through a month ago. And school districts everywhere probably fell down on this, and it's a lesson for the future is should have made a plan in July and just said, here's the plan, and this is what we're going to do. And if for some reason, the world is upside down in September. We're going to jig that plan. But instead, in most cases, especially, I think because summer is generally their time off, and I hate to say it that way, but there's, there's, that's part of it, is everybody <laughs> just waited till September and then said, okay, two days before, we're going to figure something out. And so there was massive anxiety because people just didn't know what to expect. And now that they're there and now that they're dealing with it, I think it's a little better. And for sure, getting back to what you said, Steve, about teachers being worried about getting sick, I'm not hearing that or feeling yeah. that quite so much here. And part of that's just because we don't yeah. have lots of cases here. So that isn't as yeah. big a concern in our society, but it, it's more been around how do I teach kids, sort of what you're saying, Zane comes every second day. So how do I deliver some online and some in class? And just, it's yeah. really hard for them. And school districts and provincial provinces didn't also give them the platforms to do it. And that I'm a little disappointed in too. We had the whole summer to yep. say, okay, every teacher teaches on Google Meets or, you know, whatever, you yep. pick your platform and this is how it's going to be. And that would have helped them. But still, they're just all cobbling it together as best they can. And I, I get that subjects are different yeah. in classes, but there should have been a bit more leadership in that. I think that would have helped reduce everybody's anxiety. In terms of parents, yeah. what I'm seeing, they're less anxious. I, I wouldn't say they're more anxious now. They're kids are back in school, they're getting back to their life. Like my staff, I don't see nearly as much anxiety as when kids were home or in the middle of August when just nobody knew what yeah. was going on. You're bringing up a good point though. The biggest thing that causes anxiety is uncertainty. Even if you get some certainty with some odds of risk, you still have certainty. Mm -hmm. You still have a sense of direction and some control that this is what I'm going to do next, next week. Definitely that makes sense to me that the anxiety is lower. I've been talking to some people lately that just the stress of everything alone is causing them to have headaches and stuff. And they don't know whether they have a headache because it's the flu or a headache because it's COVID. And I think some industries are, are rushing back. School makes sense that they got to rush back, but there's some industries that are rushing back for the sake of rushing back. And I don't think everybody's feeling quite as ready or quite as supported. I'd be curious to hear from you, Lester. I've seen less sick days in all of my staff since COVID started than in the last two or three years before that. And I don't know if that's just people want to get out of the house or some of them are working from home, but generally my staff still come into work. Maybe just because it's a straight nine to five every day now, there's a lot less going on, but I've seen way less sick time. Bruce, I never thought about that until you just asked me. We have a, um, 
a morning Zoom call every morning. We've got this one guy who kind of counts things. He's got two graduate degrees in math. He's a computer science guy. So he always reminds us of the calendar stuff. And he was pointing out that today was our six-month anniversary of being out of the office. So we're six months completely remote as a company. Oh, wow. And I haven't had a single sick day for a single employee in six months, now that you mention it. Not one. Wow. And maybe it's because, look, I'm working from home anyway. I can stay in my pajamas yeah. on my couch under a blanket with my laptop if I don't feel great. Yeah. yeah, I haven't had one. You know, Steve and I talked about this quite a bit because I had to kind of force my staff to take vacation time this summer because nobody was taking holidays. And I was like, you know, this isn't going to be good mental health wise if you're just sitting at home because you're sitting at home. And I started thinking, like, why might it be? And I was like, well, I'm an employee. I remember when I had, you know, three weeks vacation for a year and I was always thinking, well, I want to save it for something good. And well, shit, I can't really go anywhere or do anything cool this summer. So I might as well bank my holiday time and use it next year. Maybe I'll go visit my family because I can travel again and whatnot. So I think people were naturally inclined to bank it. So I had to say to my people, like, look, guys, I'm giving everybody an extra week of vacation this summer, but you have to take it this summer. Like I'm forcing you each <laughs> to take a week off and just... I don't, like, I don't care if you don't travel, you don't go do something like exciting, but take a week off. Do not check your email for a week. You do not do your Zoom calls in the morning for a week. Go to a park, go for a walk, like just do something to break up your routine for your mental health. And I, I had to really push them to to do it, but without a, without a doubt, each, each person as they came back from their week off, you could see the look on their face, like they were rejuvenated and refreshed and it just kind of reminded me you know, how important it is for people to take a break because especially, and I said to them, I go, guys, we're going to get back into the fall. It's not going to be nice weather. We're going to go into the winter. Shit goes sideways with the flu season and a spike and we get locked down again. We're going to be stuck in our homes again. So while, <laughs> while it's July and August and hot and sunny, even if you don't have anything to do, just take a day off and go walk around outside. We saw kind of the same thing that people were all pushing their holiday. We're probably not quite in the same spot as you are in that you have to use up your holidays or you'll get paid out for them at the end of the year. The RHA doesn't even like to do that. Like they want you to take your holidays. So now we've got everybody hanging on to these things. And at the end of March... I'm going to have nobody there. <laughs> Everybody's going yeah. to have to take their holidays. And same thing as you said, now it's going to be cold yep. outside and people are going to think this just sucks. Like I think everybody's still hoping that for a Christmas miracle. And then in January, we're yeah. all going to go to Mexico and we've all got four weeks to do that. <laughs> but it's that's not going to happen, right? George is shaking his head no. <laughs> that's not going to happen. That's definitely not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> it was the same thing. Yeah. We had to push people and say, yeah, like take figure something out and take some time and get a little bit of a break. So... Is work from home still as good as people say? As Les just pointed out, it has been six months. And I think a lot of the research starts to show that the shine wears off working from home some, somewhere around now. And it sounds like it's okay for your company, Lester. But is the work from home thing still good? And is it still going to keep happening? I do think that the sheen is wearing off. I think people are promoting work at home is awesome. Work at home is awesome. I think it's working for and those aren't, it isn't. <laughs> and I think there's some advantages for some companies to really push that work at home is happening because they see the amount of money they can save by closing the commercial real estate. This kind of isolation, just from a research perspective, is not good for your mental health, period. So if you look at the research, we're in an epidemic of mental health and burnout before the pandemic hit, and people are more isolated now. So it doesn't make any logical sense that more isolation and disconnection is going to be good for, for anybody. You know, you used to be able to get out and go do something, even just the transitions and the, the change. Now you can't. I mean, 
you're in your pajamas all time all the time checking your email uh, a lot of people seem that they're like a lot of companies are more productive than ever by the numbers because people are like, yeah, I'm just going to do this after work because I'm just doing it all day anyway. And it mashes together. And that's just not good. We got to find a balance just like school and everything else. There's got to be some transition and some breakpoint to try to give another bit of a gap between life and work uh, or it's going to start really having an impact on our mental health for sure. Yeah. So I can't work from home, but this has been a pleasant surprise for me. So We've had a lot of meetings that before Zoom was created or I even knew about Zoom, if I didn't get up early, get into my car, drive half an hour, I couldn't attend a meeting or more importantly, an educational platform. And so this has been sort of this refreshing thing where I'm not having to miss anything because I'm trying to get the kids ready. I'm trying to get them lunch ready. Well, now I can actually do both. And now I'm actually not missing opportunities to learn new things because I can just zoom it or I can call in. And I think my department has probably decided even when COVID is over, we will have at least 50% of our meetings because they're just simply more efficient because everybody's a busy person via Zoom. Uh, so that we'll have that, like Steve said, uh, a nice mix of connecting in person face to face. I actually have found it kind of cool because I've actually missed less. And, but I can certainly speak to Megan because I see her, you know, showing up in this spot and she's like waking up at five minutes to eight, <laughs> hair up in a bun, making coffee, showing up with pajamas and her robe and working. She looks like a homeless person, like working <laughs> and it makes no difference to her. So it's actually kind of funny because I'm still getting up at 630 in the morning or quarter after six and I'm fully awake. And uh, she's definitely feeling like I want to go back. And now her job is saying, okay, you can come back one day a week. And she's looking forward to it for all the reasons that Steve pointed out. I think I'm where Megan is. I've had a bit of a blend of, of working at home and working from the office. And I know that I really miss going into the office. There's definitely a blend there for me. A day or two at home, set aside some projects that you can do there. And, and exactly what you said, George, it's nice to, to not have to get up and go out in the cold. It's nice to, to roll upstairs and have your lunch like right now, all of those things. But I think employers, and I feel like Les has done a good job of this, and I'm curious to hear what he's kind of done, have to make a concerted effort to help people still make connections. And especially in workspaces where some people are home and some aren't, and you don't make a concerted effort to somehow find a way to make those people included and to keep them connected, it's easy for your world to just keep shrinking. It's hard to meet new people virtually. You can over the phone and Zoom and stuff, but it's yeah. easier in, in real life. I feel pretty isolated when I'm home and there's been a lot of benefits to me being at work. With that said, just about everybody is still at work. So it's not like we're a whole office that's working at home. I'm sort of an anomaly in that. I know Les, you're talking about the morning Zoom calls. And I think you guys have spent some real time, you know, making sure that people stay connected, even though they're home. And it looks like so far it's successful. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's a little bit different for everybody. I see with my employees, everybody has a different living environment. Nobody was planning to have to work from home when they purchased or rented their most current living space pre-COVID. Like none of my employees, because everybody came to the office every day. So some people went home and were like, oh, yeah, this is great. I have an office. I have a home office in my house because I have one. And this is I'm, I don't have to commute. And it's fantastic. And other people went home and went, holy shit, I live in a 650 square foot condo and I have no space, which means I'm sitting at my kitchen table all day long now, which is doesn't feel like an office and doesn't feel fun. Other people went holy shit, now I'm at home with my three kids running around and that's, you know, makes me crazy and I don't have any quiet time to think. 
the work from home experience is very unique for each person. And I think that's what, as an employer, you have to try to accommodate and you have to try to kind of adjust to and account for, for, for different people, because it's very different for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Myself, I go to the office sometimes, like since I've been back in Toronto, I go to the office some days just because I miss going to the office. It's weird. I go to the office and it's empty and it's, it's kind of like, um, going into like a time capsule because like I'll go into a meeting room and you know, the, there's all these algorithms written all over the whiteboard from the engineers that had the last meeting in that room. And they're like, just there frozen in time from <laughs> March 12th, which is the last time they were in there. And I just got to look at them and I go, Oh yeah. Okay. I guess that's what they were working on back in March. I water the couple of plants that are still alive and kick around and I look at all the stuff, you know, like, oh, look at all the coffee cups and yeah, look at all the stuff that we have that nobody ever is going to use again, right? It's, so it's kind of weird to go in there. This change is going to stick. A lot of it is going to stick. I, I think I, I made this prediction on one of our early COVID pods and I'm sticking with it. We are not going back to a scenario where the downtown centers of cities are filled with full office buildings. I just don't think we are. I'm at six months without a single employee setting foot in my office. Another six months from now, will I have that office? I don't know. I pay the rent check every month and it stings a little bit more and more each month. Permanent work from home scenarios are being considered. Steve, you made a good point. Like larger companies for sure are taking an opportunity to downsize office space and, and make some dramatic changes that mm -hmm. affect their balance sheets and stuff, which is great for them. Smaller companies like myself, you're more thinking, okay, what's going to be best for my employees moving forward? Well, it's, you know, they're living, breathing people and, and it's a living, breathing idea of keeping them all happy and keeping everybody kind of in balance. Do we want to commute? Do we need an office? Or are we happy working from home? It's, it's still up in the air. Yeah, it's tough. I know we all don't like doing predictions, but I'm going to wrap this little segment with the predictions. Les, you just kind of threw yours out there. You're going to be homeless, officeless in six months. <laughs> Stevie, what do you see in your crystal ball? I agree with Les. I think it's going to be half and half. I said it earlier on. I think our change is going to be directly proportional to the suffering that we endure during this. And I think if we come back really quickly, I don't, I, I can't foresee the economy uh, and the way capitalism runs that we would have remembered anything. And I think it'll go back close to the same. But I think it's going to be right down the middle. I think we're going to see education go half and half and, and, and pivot and be more creative. And I think we're going to see business maybe listening to employees and because you have to. You're going to have to understand how they're doing to be able to successfully run your business versus just everyone's a cog in the wheel. So I think it's going to be tuning into people and finding out who does it work for, who doesn't it, and how can we adjust to... Uh, to accommodate that half and half working, working from home and working, uh, interacting right down the middle. Big surprise, eh, guys, right down the middle. Have we reached max anxiety right now? Is it going to get better? Is it going to get worse? Where, what's your gut? I said it earlier with anxiety, the more certainty we have, we will put up with more risk. If we have more certainty, that's the way humans are wired. It's the uncertainty and the not knowing that drives anxiety and the what ifs through the mm -hmm. through the roof. Yeah, interesting. I got to say, Bruce, I feel like anxiety is a lot lower now than it was a while ago. Like I know everyone, yep. you know, parents who've had to figure out what to do with their kids and send them back to school. I'm sure that was incredibly stressful. But other than that, like life in Toronto right now compared to three months ago is night and day different. I live a pretty normal life right now, other than I don't go into restaurants and bars, but you know, there's patios everywhere. Yeah, you go have a beer on a patio and 
any building I go into, I put a mask on. Uh, what's the big deal? I'm so used to wearing a mask now that I just have one with me everywhere I go. Who cares? Things are not that stressful right now. I think it's going to get worse if we get into the fall. We see this spike go up because kids are going back to school. We're going to have to pull back. You know what? We're going to have to close down bars and restaurants so that kids can go back to school. I mean, should be an obvious trade-off <laughs> realistically. Yeah. I think it feels like we kind of know how to handle this. Like seriously, if we go into lockdown for the winter, we lived through lockdown already once. We know what lockdown is. It sucks. You got to stay home. I think the overall feeling of holy shit, we don't know what this pandemic is really going to mean. I feel like that has ratcheted down. It certainly has in in my world. It's like this is going to go up and it's going to go down and we're going to have to deal with it. But it's not like this great unknown of, holy shit, how bad could this get? I think yeah, we kind of know what this is now. And we just know we have to be careful. And it's a question of how careful do we have to be and how long do we have to be careful for? But we know how to be careful. I think when you've done it once, then the second time should be easier for people. I think they know what to expect. Traditionally, the second wave epidemiologically should be not as severe as the first, at least with all major epidemics and pandemics, including SARS, which less went through, but neither of us went through. So I think like Steve said, knowing a little bit makes anxiety much less. And I think there's a part of you, it would it'd be weird for me to think that not every single parent or adult there doesn't believe this might happen again. And they're kind of preparing for it psychologically, mentally. Like, I mean, that's what I'm doing. It's how, how could you not think that this is not going to happen again? Canada happened to do a very good job in it. So I think we should be proud. And so the second wave should be less severe as the first. And the governments, each individual province will have to decide how is, are we going to let Bruce be a number phase two guy? Because he wants to be phase two forever. <laughs> I like do. That's what he wants. <laughs> so can we be phase one and a half, two until the vaccine comes out? I'm okay with what the healthcare will do. Healthcare is going to take care of us. That's, I'm not concerned about that. I'm actually more interested in what Les said, is how will the economy accommodate all the employees out there? And I like that idea of shared spaces, I think Les should have a nanny. He should employ a nanny or create like a gym at his place or a daycare. I think employers are going to have to be nimble and creative to help people because those employers that are nimble and creative, I think will retain the people that they want and they'll keep them there because the employer will feel appreciated that this, this employer actually thought about our long-term longevity and our anxiety and our happiness and our families and made it accommodating for us. So I'm interested to see who will step up and those are going to be the people that make the headlines. Yeah. George, just on that note, a few months back when I was having sort of a strategy meeting with my most senior manager, we agreed that the most important thing for us, you know, you kind of go through these like disaster scenarios and survival and you know how we're going to handle this and that. But the most important thing to us was employee retention. Because if we lost a key employee, the most difficult thing for me to do right now as an organization would be to onboard a new person remotely. That would be a challenge. Yeah. Right now I've got all employees working remotely. They're working from home. I know them. I trust them. They know me. 
we work together as a team. Okay, so we're cool. I have to bring a net brand new person into that ecosystem without ever meeting them face to face, without bringing them into a team meeting where everybody sits around and goes for lunch and gets to know each other. That's a challenge that I don't want to. I don't want to have to meet. That, that that would be tough. And so, being extra focused on employee retention is really really important right now, to me anyway. I've had a real awakening, I think, in the last little while, just around our timescape or how long this is going to be. I think that's done for me what, Steve, you were talking about in terms of giving some certainty that knowing that I'm counting on being like this for a year now. And hopefully we get a vaccine sooner than that and it makes its way through the world. But the reality is there's a good chance that it's next summer for sure before anything is really significantly different in terms of, uh, and maybe that's, again, me just hoping that this phase two lasts forever. But knowing that this isn't just a couple months and then my world is going to change again, like regardless of what my world looks like, lockdown or not lockdown, it's nice to sort of have that little bit of certainty. And and even in our planning at work and our, our life planning at home to say, no, this is really what our world looks like. And if it gets significantly better, great. But really, this is probably what it's going to kind of look like. So that's been my look into the crystal ball. And that's not that I was ever stressed. <laughs> like I said, I kind of <laughs> like this. That helps to reduce any anxiety that there would be. And so it's going to be a hard winter. And I think Big organizations, and, and by saying that, it's some of what you mentioned, George, your kids' sports and our provincial government in terms of schools have to make some hard decisions and say, no, there aren't going to be school sports till Christmas. And that takes so much pressure off coaches and parents and everybody else to try to cobble their own way through it, where there's one teacher who's averse to COVID and says, no, I'm not putting my team together. And the guy next door is, it's almost like the rich kid, poor kid thing. And the, the guy next door is like, no, we're going to practice every day. And so next year, we're going to absolutely crush you. If the larger organizations make those hard decisions one way or the other, I think it helps us all to have a little bit more certainty and a little bit bit less anxiety. Right? And that's super hard for them to do. If you've got elite soccer dad, George, calling you every day saying, no, we should practice. <laughs> don't don't cancel the season. That's hard for those top people to not somehow try to keep the season going instead of just saying, no, we have to keep you safe. Soccer is not essential part of our lives, except if you're European. So we're canceling the year. We have to make some hard decisions and knowing that our timescapes aren't two weeks, they're two months or two years. Any last thoughts, things that have surprised you most about about COVID in the last six months? You know, I think people are, are a little bit more um, tolerant and patient with themselves and with other people. I think that's been pretty good. It's the first time everybody's experiencing the same thing. So there's no short of empathy for people going through this. So, I mean, that's, that's probably been the coolest thing for me. I'm having a completely different experience than most people. I have never been more focused in my life. I have never been less anxious in my life. When something comes to you that you're prepared for, that you've trained for, that you've done kind of before, like every flu season, and I work with 32 individuals in my department that work within a gigantic organization enveloped in a university that their whole mandate is to do this. It has been uh, this very interesting journey. I'm very proud of what we've done. Nice. There's lots of changes at work and I found, uh, like what Les said, this has challenged me to be a good leader in some of those ways to to try to look at how you keep people connected and, and how you try to give them some certainty and do some planning and that. But I'm a change guy. I mean, I've changed jobs mm -hmm. lots of times. I've tried to change my cottage around like every summer. Our house has gone. You changed your underwear twice this month? I did. Yeah. Tw twice in August and already twice in September. So that was good. <laughs> So that's not stressful for me at work either. So I enjoy going and trying to rise to some of those challenges and trying to, to understand where people are at. 
COVID's not all bad, man. It's not great. I don't want to do it again. And for our generation, I mean, this is a world war or this is something that we'll talk about in our kids. We've never faced a challenge like this. We've lived a soft life. Let's be real. And not that this is as hard as a world war, I don't think, but it's it's a whole world thing. And so something we'll talk about. And I think our society needed a little challenge, to be honest. When I have to puke at night boom, 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 boom. I can be so indiscreet I don't run down to the john I just throw up on my sheets I puke on the pillow and I puke on my floor Something that makes everybody anxious is when your stomach starts turning and you know that uh, there's only one end to that. Regardless of why your stomach has been churning, We've all vomited in our lives, and that's the question. When is the last time you vomited flu or otherwise? Last you were scared of this, so we'll let you off the hook right off the start. Stevie D? I wasn't scared of it. I just didn't know if it was going to be that interesting to talk about. I'm not afraid of it. I'm interested (laughs) in hearing Steve's story. Maybe not. I'll cut the whole thing if it's not interesting. All right, I'll go first. It's only been a few times in my life, but it was in India in, uh, I believe it was 2015, I was the only one that was bragging that I didn't get sick while we were there because everybody got sick. We were there for a week and it was the second last night and I was, I'd been going around the world and I was dying for a martini. I was dying for a gin martini. And of course, if you've ever been in India, you're not supposed to have the water, but we were at a a diamond star resort. And I asked the guy, said ice cubes are not wrapped. They're not bottled. And he gave me a guarantee that they were from bottled water. The guy across the table from me said, how badly do you want that martini? And I said, pretty badly. And then about uh, 12 hours later, I was uh, it was coming out the front end uh, with everything else. So uh, I couldn't keep my clean sweep of a week of not being sick. It was worth it, though. It was so worth it. <laughs> it was still worth it. Lester, what do you got? I wonder if we should have broken this down into alcohol-related versus non-alcohol-related events. Right. I almost did that because really that's two pretty distinct categories. Yeah, of course, right? Of course. Everybody's had alcohol-related events. We've known each other since we were eight years old. Um, but I I have actually only non-alcohol-related events. I've only vomited, I think, three times in my entire life. I have a ridiculous... Uh, Constitution? Uh, yeah, I guess. I don't know. And that includes, Steve, five trips to India. And almost a year backpacking (laughs) through Asia, Southeast Asia, India, China, Nepal, everywhere. Had a lot of other extreme digestive situations on that trip, but uh, but never vomited. The last time I vomited, six or seven years ago, I was in Mexico and was in Cabo. And I was flying home, was fine the entire time I was in Mexico. My flight was delayed for like five hours or something. And I was in the Cabo airport and I was starving. And so I had a cheeseburger in the airport. A day later, I was phoning George saying like, fuck, do I have to go to the walking clinic and get Cipro? Like I was so violently ill. I think I lost 14 pounds in three days or something. It was just a terrible, terrible experience. Don't ever eat in the airport on the way home from Mexico. Oh, wow. Fresh meat. I don't even want Mm. to think about it. Yeah, Georgie? Yeah, I, I don't vomit very much. Except I find it hilarious, and anytime anyone ever you can't vomits, stop laughing. I can't help but laugh out loud. It's one of my I can't stop laughing. I love it when people vomit. 
I don't know why. I know it's stupid, but it's like less than farting. Yeah. I just can't stop laughing. A couple of things. I recently took care of somebody with such bad salmonella that he almost mm -hmm. died and he was younger than us. And I remember talking to a colleague of mine who's from Mexico and I said, oh my God, this guy got so sick. He was in the ICU. He almost had to go for an operation. He grew salmonella in his blood. I've seen this like three times in my life, Juan. How many times have you seen it? And he'd be in Mexico City. We'd have two or three a week in our ICU. <laughs> So it's funny, like I was like super excited about this gastrointestinal illness. And he's all like, oh yeah, I've seen it like a hundred times in my career. It's no big deal. What are you talking about? So that's funny. Two, Les actually phoned me when he was backpacking for a year and he made a collect call that he's never paid me back from when he was yeah. super, super sick. And I remember picking up the phone and hearing, will you accept collect call from Les? And he told me this hilarious story of how sick he was, which then I laughed out loud at one o'clock in the morning how sick he was. <laughs> but my favorite all-time story actually involves Dave Krekowitz. It doesn't involve me directly, but we went to Santa Maria, all night drinking. Steve was there, Dave was there, Fred Mighty was there, Donovan. Dave was so drunk in Ari Santos's caravan that he used to always let me to drive around that we went to eat and he's all, George, I'm so hammered. I just want to sleep in the caravan. He proceeded to vomit everywhere. <laughs> he couldn't escape the caravan. He sat in his own vomit. Smells so bad, it makes me puke some more. I'm lying in puke, cinch inches deep. So I just smile and go back to sleep. So we come out at four o'clock in the morning and we open up the caravan and the caravan stunk so bad. I was screaming at him. Steve and I drove to Terry Mitchell's house. We cleaned the caravan for two hours, drove it to 48 Hemlock, rolled down all the windows. And then my mom would take the van to pick up everybody that she was working for Air Santa's Jam Tourist Service. She went into my room, screamed at me. It smells terrible. I can't believe you did this to me. I'm not going to lend you the van again. That's actually my favorite vomiting story of all time. Dave the Wave Krakowitz vomited, sat in it for an hour and a half while we were at Santa Maria Pizza and destroyed the caravan of Air Santos. We should have just set it on fire. <laughs> yeah. It was weeks till he could get it out. And I remember Ari, the fall, because this was like a Saturday to a Sunday. And Ari used to always eat over at my mom's house on Sunday. He showed up and he started razzing me like, oh, you got really drunk. And he was trying to get me into trouble. And to Sam's credit, my dad, he turned to Ari and he goes, this is your fault. You should never give these vagabundos your caravan anyways. <laughs> vagabundos. He fucking gave Ari shit for giving us the vehicle to drive in. He had zero sympathy. I didn't even get into trouble with my dad. He just all, well, that's your fault. You gave him the fucking car. What's wrong with you? Why would you give him the car? <laughs> Don't you remember when you were 17, 18 years old? You're an idiot. I love it. Simple justice. I love it. Simple justice. My non-drinking story, I'll give you one of each. A helicopter ride with, of all people, Mike Smith. Remember our grade eight teacher? 
Yep. He had a yep. business taking oh, yeah. taking photos after he retired, and I was working for Thompson Unlimited, and we wanted to get some photos of the cold weather testing site before they built that. I was part of that project, and so we rented a helicopter one day, and I got him to take the photos, and I went with, and the helicopter guy was great. It was one of those ones with the bubble at the front, so we were sitting right up front, and you could see down, and, and we flew over that, and that was kind of close to our cabin at Paint Lake, so we flew over to the cabin, and the guy was like, hey, you know, you've still got 15 more minutes to go where do you want to go and I remember I was looking down and I looked up and I had such bad motion sickness from looking down and from this helicopter going up and down I was like 15 minutes <laughs> take us home right now I don't care what we're paying right helicopters are extremely challenging oh, man I got out of that thing and just barfed my guts out it was brutal I remember one time I was in Vegas and we were hosting a big conference there and so I had a bunch of clients and, you know, one of the big things that you do in Vegas is you take the helicopter ride to the bottom of the Grand Canyon. And so, oh, of yeah, course, yeah. we'd been, I'd been out with one set of clients the night before, like drinking, throwing dice to like five in the morning. And then I had to, you know, meet these other guys at 7.30 for breakfast and then go on this helicopter. So at like 8.30 in the morning, I'm now on a helicopter going over the Vegas Strip, like <laughs> out towards the canyon. And I... Definitely thought I was going to vomit in that helicopter. I didn't, but I really thought I was going to. Yeah, no, this and this caught up on me because I didn't feel it coming at all. And then all of a sudden the switch flipped and oh, it was yeah. like, okay, you can't yeah. get me out of this helicopter fast enough. Like it was bloody yeah. awful. My drinking one is, is a walk of shame story. And so we went to a dinner party with some people that we didn't know very well. Like there was three or four couples there and the, the host was just fantastic about keeping our wine glasses full. And it was one of those times where you just kind of lose track of where you're at and you're kind of nervous. So you're drinking a little bit too much and trying to talk to people. And, and I remember standing up there and thinking, oh no, this is just bad and there's nothing I can do about it. So held it together for the rest of the party, got home, went to bed. And the next day was lacrosse day in Thompson. So we had this big special day for all the kids and I was coaching Murph's team. And so get up, put on a brave face, get down to the rink. And I was coaching in the Gordon Beard Arena. And you guys remember the Gordon Beard, the smaller rink, the benches are on the opposite side of the floor. And about halfway mm -hmm. through the first game, it was like, okay, yeah. I can't keep it together anymore. And I'm just absolutely green. They're all little kids, right, playing. So I have to walk across the floor <laughs> to get out of the building. And all the parents are just looking at me wondering what's going on. And I'm just... <laughs> looking around out through the Zamboni doors and he uh, yacked my guts out and then... <laughs> oh, no way. I love it. I love Big it. Big bottle of water and back on the bench to finish the game and, and then organize a hot there dog lunch for lacrosse day in Thompson. Oh, so, yeah. Yeah, it was certainly not my proudest moment. All right, well, there you go. There's your lightning vomit nice. round. I hope it was worthwhile for you, Bruce. Better than you thought. <laughs> I'm just going to cut all mine out and only yeah, tell yeah. your stories. <laughs> well, I noticed that George didn't tell yeah. a story of, about himself vomiting. He sidestep he threw three separate stories at it hoping that we would notice it he thought no one would notice he thought no one would notice yeah <laughs> we'd let him slide now he's pretending he can't hear us it's he's gonna taking be the zoom picture out going what what i've lost audio <laughs> yeah we'll get we'll get you next time you owe us one okay i got a hockey game to go to i gotta go boys game starts in 20 have fun bruce be careful all right all right yeah. good chat you thanks bet. a lot guys have a great night love you guys uh, love you too, guys. See you later. Okay, bye. that's it that's the end you probably found us already on social media but if not at snow day pod tell your friends we've also got an email snowdaypod at gmail.com Send us a voice memo. Maybe we'll put your voice on the show. Thanks to the rest of our team, Social Media Todd, Producer Mike, and the secret weapon, Shannon Bisson. <laughs>